For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I'm excited for this week because I got to mix some things that I... I don't usually talk about with things that I talk about all the time with our our guest on today's episode. I got to mix in a little bit of political conversation with White Sox baseball. I'll explain what I mean coming up in a minute and why my uh, (laughs) my guest, it literally says the first thing in his bio. It says his White Sox, which is amazing. Um, not his actual bio from Channel 9, but his Twitter bio. It literally says White Sox, Star Trek, R&B. Those are all things I, I'm down with. As a matter of fact, me and Maggie need to record another episode soon. Now that I'm done with Star Trek Discovery, Maggie and I are going to do that. And, and this guy that I'm going to have on the show, on the podcast momentarily, He's actually at some point going to be one of our guests when we do our Star Trek episodes. I'd like to let you know that this podcast, I feel like PBS funding for this podcast is brought to you by Homeside Financial. That's right. If you or a family member are looking to purchase a new home, you need to do what I did and call Team Hockberg, your trusted local lender. Meet Aria. She's 30, a web designer, making 90 grand a year, who is purchasing her first home, so she called her dad Bob for advice. Bob advised Aria to call the only lender that he trusted, Team Hockberg, Hart. He wanted Team Hockberg to help his youngest daughter purchase her first home. Aria followed dad's advice and called Team Hockberg for a free consultation. Team Hockberg answered all of Aria's questions, pulled her credit, and preliminarily approved her for a mortgage and introduced her to real estate attorney David Schluter. Team Hochberg has helped thousands of podcast listeners like Bob help their kids, like Aria, understand the home buying process, locate a home, and secure their first mortgage. But they can't help you if you don't call them. I've been trying to tell you to call this man. You need to call this man. Call him. 855-56-DAVID or visit at 56david.com. It's 855-863-2843 or visit 56david.com. You can check out David. He hosts a radio show called House Smarts every Saturday morning. Homeside Financials, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS, 1124061. He helped me. He can help you. He helped Aria, which is even more important. Tamon Bradley is a serious dude. He's just, despite what it says in his Twitter bio, and you should be following him at Taman Bradley, he does incredible political reporting for Channel 9 in Chicago, WGN Television. I, I mean, I've known Taman, like we have a bunch of mutual friends. He's a White Sox fan. I'd see him at White Sox games all the time. We had talked about doing something, but... Throughout the 2020 election, he was doing the type of political journalism that I think we need to do more of. Like, it was issue-oriented. Like, here's what the issue is. This is what you're going to be voting on, and this this is what people who are for it say. This is what people who are against it say. And here's a deep dive in, in whether or not what they say is true. He did that with a bunch of different topics. 
And I was so impressed. Like, I was so – not that I have any right to be proud, but I was so proud, like, watching him. And the crazy part is that Channel 9 would give him a lot of space. Like, that was the part to me that was insane, that they gave him space on the 9 o'clock news to spend four or five minutes. Like, ordinarily, you don't get that much time in TV, in local TV. You get two or three minutes. But they were giving him more than that, and it was very helpful in figuring out some things, him exploring topics that are, are not easily digestible. And as you hear me say to him, I think that politics needs to do more of that. Like media needs to do more of explaining the politics that they are discussing. And and I, I really respect the way that he and his producers went about covering the, the 2020 election. And, and it's more it's explained when we get inside of this. But I also just really like talking with him because he's he's a crazy White Sox fan. And now I understand why. Like now I get it after talking to him. So this is us hanging out. I also found out I didn't know this, that that we went to rival high schools, kind of, because really HF has no rival. But you get what I'm saying. So this is me sitting down with one of the smartest guys in news in Chicago, Tamon Bradley. I really thank you for doing this, man, because I know that you're crazy busy. No worries. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> Thanks for thinking of me. You have A-listers, so I don't know why the hell you want me. I wanted to get into your your career path and stuff. And, I, I mean, I know that, that you've had a, a long career already, like doing important stuff, covering the 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 – white house like all this stuff covering the nation and now being like hyper local focused i'd love to know what kind of sparked you wanting to be in news in the first place so you know what it it was i I always had an interest in current events and history i always liked to know what was going on like my dad would always read the paper and so i would grab it i wouldn't read it but i like to grab it because it seemed like there was important stuff in the newspaper right right For me, what happened was I found the 2000 presidential election, Al Gore, George W. Bush, and I was just obsessed with following everything that was going on. So that was back in 2000, you know, so that's what, 20 years ago, I would have been 17, uh, I guess 16 for most of that, and then turning 17 as they were doing the recount and having confusion over who was going to win Florida. And I just really got into watching cable news and I obsessed over that contest. And then I started, and then I found local news and I loved watching the stations in Chicago. And I was so dorky that I cut out pictures. I printed pictures of all of the anchors and reporters. So I probably now work with people who were at one time on my wall <laughs> when I was growing up. And so I put their pictures up, you know, people like Charles Thomas, John Drury, Diane Burns, Warner Saunders, they were all on my wall. And then I found network news. So it went cable, local, and the network. And I obsessed over Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings, and Dan Rather. So anyway, I, so I, I fell in love with politics and then the personalities that, that delivered the news. Was there ever a time when you thought that you'd be doing anything else? So I, <laughs> I went back and forth. I, I, I did drama in high school. And which so high I school? To an, I went, yeah, and it, it went to high school at Rich Central. Oh, uh, so I we, know you're familiar with. So Lawrence. we got like mad beef. Okay. Yeah. Right down, right down Governor's Highway. All up right. The street up the street. The bigger high school up the street is where you went. <laughs> yes. So did a, I did six plays in high school. That's something people don't know about me. Played Dracula. Helen Keller's father, Captain Keller, I did a lot of cool stuff. And so I thought I maybe wanted to be an actor, but I didn't like my teeth. And I felt like you had to have perfect teeth to be an actor. So that was always a big hang up for me. That was an insecurity. Um, And I also, I maybe thought I might want to go into politics. But once I I got into news and broadcasting, I went hard. and And I just knew that that's... That's what I wanted. When do you think the light clicked on when you're like, man, this is it? Because it's funny. Your your place is the place that where the light clicked on for me, because I was I was in the middle of deciding between whether I wanted to go be in the classroom, 
whether I was going to go to law school and then, you know, go into the Navy or whether I was going to stick with broadcasting. And my internship at Channel 9 was the moment where I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I kind of thought this might be it, but no, legit, like, this is it. It was pretty great because at the time it was 97 and 98 and I was covering the Bulls. Like, I was helping out with championship Bulls Michael Jordan stuff when I was there at Channel 9. Which is which is really cool. Yeah, I, I definitely re- remember that. You know, they like to say of, of Chicago, we have these cold winters. So all you had to do was to watch the Bulls. And that was true. Not sure what we do these days because it hasn't been real watchable uh, over there on Madison Street lately. But not. so the other thing I should add, I think you can relate to this. I loved baseball growing up and, and, and still do. And um, I was a shortstop, but I just wasn't committed. The, the acting tripped me up. I mean, I... There was a time I think I probably wanted to be a baseball player and uh, I loved the White Sox. And but I just, you know, I found other stuff. I got distracted and I wasn't focused on it. And so that's when that acting thing came up. And then I went over to uh, the journalism. For me, it, it was people. I guess I've always had like this voice. And so people would say, yeah, you've got the voice for it. You've got. And, and when I get interested in something, Lawrence. I obsess, I go hard. And so I watched every newscast possible. I started reading news and I just started obsessing over it. And I mean, that was the moment that I knew. I also went to a broadcast camp at Bradley University down in Peoria and they trained us on the jobs that that you can have in a newsroom. And then at the end of the camp, I think it was a week long, at the end of the camp, they picked us to do various jobs and I was picked to be the anchor. So, I mean, you know, here's a, here's a guy who's, uh, I guess I was after my sophomore year of high school, and he's picked to be the anchor for this, this high school broadcast. That's pretty cool. And a name drop here, too. Uh, Amara Enya, the former mayoral candidate, was at that same broadcast camp. Uh, she was probably picked to be the executive producer of The Boss. Uh, I don't remember her, her role, but so I've known her for a while. That would make sense, though, considering how sharp she is. Exactly. She better be in <laughs> that, charge. That, that she might be in charge. Like, when I hear you talking about acting now, it almost feels like if someone were to offer you an opportunity to do some acting, you might <laughs> you, you might drop everything and do it. You know, the honest to goodness truth, Lawrence, I, I, I was not good. <laughs> I, was, I like to think I was a pretty good baseball player. I, so so I, could, I could create a character – and I could do things that were entertaining on stage, but me circa high school, I was not telling the story, right? Like that's the whole point of acting. You create the characters to tell the author's story or the screenwriter's story. And each scene is a story and a decision is made at the end of that. Anyway, that type of advanced level thinking wasn't what I was doing. I was just creating a character somewhat freestyling and just having a good time with it. And so, uh, no, I don't think I could be an actor. I, I think I probably found the right career. How seriously did you take the baseball? Well, I, I now know, you only know what you know, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're serious, you probably have a swing coach. Um, you probably have um, your family make a tape and and they pitch that to scouts and agents. I didn't do any of that. I, I to me, it was just fun. And, and because again, when I'm into something, I go hard. I, I mean, I, I was into it more than just guys who were good athletes who played it because they also played football and they played other stuff. Um, you know, I watched every game I could every, you know, anytime I've been, I still to this day, whenever there's the white Sox are on, I watch if I'm home and you know and sometimes it worked now because we have technology where you can fire it up on your phone and whatnot you know i'll be anchoring the news and have it on in the studio (laughs) so 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 i watched a lot of baseball i did it i loved to play um i you know i gave it my all but i look back at like the things that you need to do to be a professional frankly or to get a college scholarship or whatever i wasn't doing those things okay that's fair enough i i i I can appreciate that. What made you make your choice for college? Mm. So I went to Howard University mm-hmm. in um, Washington, D.C. <laughs> Funny story about that. So so growing up, I always had like a Howard sweater uh, that had some grass stain uh, stains on it. And, and I would wear that. And people were like, oh, Howard, what do you know about Howard? I would say, ah, not a whole lot, right? 
but I would later learn um, what an HBCU was and sort of some of the history of Howard. But Lawrence, you know, people on campus and people who are my friends from from Howard, they have these dramatic stories about they needed to go there because they needed to pledge whatever, because, you know, every man or woman in their family was a member of this sorority or fraternity. And um, and so they have some dramatic story, you know, the most important doc, the doctor that saved their life graduated from. I just wanted to get as far away from home as possible. Fair enough. And Washington, D.C. had the politics. It had, you know, it was the center of power. There were these great internship opportunities. So it just made sense. And it was the only place I applied to. And I look back at that and that's pretty stupid. That was pretty, you know, and, and I applied for early action. And to take you back to when I was a high school senior, so this was 2001, right? And so I'm applying in November of 2001, a couple of months after 9-11. And I, I, I send off the application for early action and I get back a letter that it was delayed, lost because of the anthrax scare. And so for some of the younger listeners to the podcast, uh, basically that's a dangerous poison that was sent around. Uh, after 9-11, it was sent to like news organizations, various places, and people uh, were very scared about it. Anyway, so it delayed the mail. And so all my friends knew where they were going, U of I or wherever it was. And I did not find out I was accepted until April. Uh, and, wow. and, it, and it was just, it was my dad emailing the admissions department, hey, what's going on? And they wrote back, yeah, you've been accepted. One place, applied for one place. That's, it was very much a, uh, that's kind of how, that's kind of how I am. It, um, you know, all in, all or nothing. So, okay, a couple things. First of all, if you wouldn't have gotten into Howard, what would have happened? Well, I would have been an actor, of course. <laughs> <laughs> like I would have gone right? to the batting cage immediately and started working on my swing. Yeah, or, or, or yeah, but you know, funny story too about um, the the baseball. So. Uh, you know, always played with a group of guys that I grew up with uh, through Pony League. I, I would actually say my favorite baseball was Pony League. There's just something about that level of baseball. But anyway, so I, I played freshman year, um, struggled a, a bit for for um, what I expected based on what I had done at the lower levels. And but again, got caught up in acting and actually decided to not play with the high school team during the regular season. I would play with the team during the summer. But so I missed sophomore, junior year so that I could do the acting. Um, and then I went back uh, because we ended up hiring. Rich Central hired Marvin Freeman, who was a big league pitcher. He actually pitched for the White Sox. Yeah, he's a good man. Be- I've had a couple of uh, really cool conversations with Marvin over the last few months. I, I, I love that guy. So what was great about him as a, as a coach is he was so uh, near be, still being a big leaguer that he, the way he talked to us, the way he disciplined us, you know, it was like, basically you could do whatever you wanted, just as long as you didn't mess up. And he used to like his, and he was a pitcher. So his emphasis was not on hitting. He used to, his coaching for hitting was, it ain't hard guys, let's go. And, and, and so he, and it was just wonderful to play for, you know, a guy who was, had been a big leaguer and it was loose and it was fun. So anyway, I went back and, and, and played um, um, senior year. And, you know, he didn't trust that I still had game because basically, I guess they don't consider it varsity if you're playing for the summer team. And so the competition, I guess, in theory, isn't as good as during the regular season. So he batted me ninth for our first game of the year. Wow. And the disrespect. Um, mad disrespect. And so in the second game of the year, you know, I'm up there, I'm batting ninth, I'm swinging. And, um, you know, I, I take a not a great swing. And he says to me, he's coaching third because that's, you know, the, that's what they do. The, the skipper will do in, in high school, often will coach third. And he says to me, Bradley, swing like a man, swing like a man. So the next pitch, and I'm glad that my father was uh, there in the stands to witness this. I knock it out of the park. And so I'm rounding the bases. Um, he goes to high five me. And I say to him, was that man enough for you? Nice. And uh, <laughs> only Homer that year, too. <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do. All right, let me go back to D.C. for a second. What's it like to be a college student in the aftermath of 9-11 in D.C.? The world was so different back then, Lawrence. It, it was, I, You know, the, the class that was ahead of me, I think, was impacted more because they were afraid to walk on campus. They were not sure what 
in the world was going on. And for when you're when you go and you're a freshman and you're wide eyed and, and you're like me, really not having been many places in life until college. I'm just I'm just soaking it all up and 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 taking in everything that I can from the experience. I mean, we did, we even had uh, the there was a D.C. Beltway shooter. There was a, a father and son going around and, and they configured a vehicle and and they were shooting people out of this vehicle. And nobody knew where the shots were. Anyways, this big, scary thing. I was so disconnected from that because I'm on campus and I'm. I'm I'm learning my way around Washington and I'm just as excited as can be. And so I didn't I didn't feel a lot of the nervousness that I think um certainly my parents did being, you know, being in Washington at you know at the time where we thought could still be a terrorist target. Um so yeah, you you kind of you you don't think about that stuff when you're when you're young and dumb. For sure. All right, I want to fast forward cuz I know that our time's limited, but I want to get to some stuff that you've been doing at, at the professional level. Two, there are two things, and one of them happened just the other day. But I want to go back to something that you did during the election that I thought was some of the best journalism that I've seen getting us ready for the election. And that was your breakdown of the fair tax. Mm. I, I was honestly, like, as I was looking at my watch, I was like, man, they're giving Taman a lot of time to... <laughs> to, to to get this done, why? What was it about that? Because now that I, I'm I'm talking to you about you throwing yourself into something, now I'm seeing it from a totally different perspective. I, I think that you were doing fan service, like you were doing service for the viewer. <laughs> but I also think that you yourself were so interested in it, it came across in the piece. So what made you say this is something I need to sink my teeth into? So Lawrence, <laughs> um, in TV news, and why I think what what makes what we do special is um, it, it is short and quick, um, and and you see the images and and you feel a certain way when you're watching good good TV journalism, and so uh, but in politics, what often happens is it's rushed. It's just so and so says that, the other side says this. And then you're done. And so at WGN, because we do the most news in the market and our broadcasts are longer, you can get away with longer stories. And so whereas my competition at Channel 5 or Channel 7, their story has to be a minute and a half. At WGN, I can take nine minutes and talk about tax policy. Right. And so you're darn right. I milk that. And some of that was me like, let me, let me show you everything you need to know. I, there's nothing I love more than when I've figured out something and, and, and I, and I find a way to like share it with people like that. That's, that's what I love most about it is here's what I know. And so I wanted, I wanted an explainer of this graduated income tax, like why the governor wanted to do it, what the opposition was saying, how much money was being invested by both sides of the argument for and against. And I wanted to show people what the potential tax rates would be, how it would change things. And I just wanted like everything you would get in a newspaper article to be on TV. And, and I try to even do that in shorter stories, you know, that are two minutes, two and a half minutes. Uh, because often we just condense things, we shorten things, we simplify things too much in TV, but not everybody's reading the paper. You're, you're not, you're not um, getting everything that you need to know. And so, so I'm taking advantage of the fact that you can get away with that at WGN and trying to really give people a lot of vegetables. <laughs> um, and, and I just, I just love that I can get away with that. I, I actually thought that I found myself, and I think I reached out to you too. Like, I found myself thinking, you know, if there was more of this, people would be so much more informed on this. Like, it became a hot button topic, and I'm not sure that everyone was uh, well read on right. the subject. And and I, and I felt like it, it even because I know that there's comparison to what happened in Arizona. Like I even thought that there were for the people that wanted it to pass. I, I thought that the way that they went about presenting it might've even been wrong. Um, it, it didn't, it didn't speak to exactly what it was. And it, 
I don't even know that the average Illinois resident voter could name what it actually is, what what it actually said on the ballot, because there was so much noise when it came to the commercials for and against it. That's true. And and it ultimately failed. And and it was always a tough sell because, um, you know, it, it needed more than a simple majority. And. Um, it, it's tax policy, right? I think I think a lot of people were just automatically suspicious. Like, wait a minute, government wants to do what? And it wasn't necessarily raising um, taxes. It, it, you know, it was it was allowing the legislature the ability to raise um, taxes on uh, higher income um, earners. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it drives so much of of what we're seeing today with with uh, who we vote for and. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done who gets in office and decisions that are made is that the citizens are just not informed and it's not always people's fault, right? You're living your life. You're trying to do the best you can. Uh, you're, you're on information overload. Um, there are various platforms, but uh, it, yeah, it's our job to, to make interesting what's important. And, and if you get an opportunity, you get a platform like that where you can have some fancy graphics and you can show people, here's how much you're going to pay under this proposal you got to do it. What was your pitch to the, the, the producers and your news director to say, Hey, I need, I need some time with this particular subject. I need some resources. I'm going to talk with some people. What, what was that like? And were they open to it on this particular topic? Yes, because we were having discussion about what are the important races we should cover and what are the important issues of the election and how do we do that in COVID? And, and so really, uh, they were interested in the topic, and I was interested in the topic. And I think they knew I was going to do what I do, which is, um, <laughs> you know, basically put a, make it a newspaper story and put it on TV. And so they were very receptive to it. And the feedback was good, what I, what I liked. And, and I, you know, I, I think we're in the business of, of truth. It's not about uh, balance and, 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 you know, if somebody says you, you were pursuing fair and balance, I think you should be somewhat suspicious of that. You should be pursuing truth. But what I liked is both sides, people for it and against it immediately wrote me like, that was great. That was so smart. And I was like, okay, I guess I've hit that sweet spot that, um, you know, people for and against it liked it and thought it was informative. Where do you think as an electorate, we can get smarter because there's so much noise to mine. Like it's, it's so hard to, for, for people to get out of their own way. Um, and you end up in some cases voting against your own interests because of the echo chambers. Like how, how can we do a better job media wise of telling some of these stories and finding some of that truth and then getting it to the people? Well, I I'll say this because we have been criticized, um, a lot over the last decade, 15 years. And then of course, with fake news becoming a term uh, that's associated with, with what we do in an attack on, on mainstream media. I, I, I often don't get defensive when I hear the criticism um, or really push back because I do think we've, we've come up short and I do think we've needed to be better and I mean, there are things we can't control, right? And that is that social media has made it very easy for people to get information and it's user-friendly and it's tailored to, to what's most convenient for you. But it's our charge to figure out how do we make ourselves relevant? How are we telling stories that impact people's lives? And so I think we've got to stop looking at at ratings, we've got, you know, I mean, I, I think it's important because I think you want to reach as many people as possible, but it can't drive what kinds of stories you're doing. You can't say, okay, as we do in local TV news, all right, 
you know, it's the sweeps period. Here's when we give you the special reporting. No, we ought to have our special units up investigating and looking at things year round. And, you know, you, you need ownership that invests in journalism. Um, you know, we, the output is enormous at WGN. And so it, it's a challenge for me to do the, the, the story like I did with, with the graduated income tax because I'm, because I'm so busy. Good journalism requires that you have time to provide context, that you have time to get the complete story. And so I think we've got to be better. And I think that's, that, that comes from the top down, from the leadership, from the people who own us, knowing that it's a public service. It's not just about making money. It's about making sure that people have information so that they can make informed decisions. For the student that wants to go into covering politics, especially local politics, what tip can you provide them? Well, I would say, I would say dive in and know that you don't necessarily have to follow the conventional path. I certainly did not. Three weeks after I graduated Howard, I went to ABC News, a, a network. That's not usually what you do. Right. I didn't start on air. I started there as a, a producer was the, was the title, but, but I was essentially an off-air reporter and I covered politics there. And it was an unconventional path to get me to, to skip some steps where I didn't have to go work in um, a small place in local news um, or, or work, you know, assignment desk or something like that. I, I thought outside of the box of a way to, to get on the, on a, on a beat that I was passionate about, which was politics. And then I would figure out later how to make my way on air. The other thing I would say too, is make yourself valuable. It, when you go to school, don't maybe study journalism. I, mean, I studied journalism, but like if you study economics or science or business, these are topics that you can become an expert in. And that can be what you, what you cover, what, what you know, and that'll make you more valuable. And so when I got to WGN, I, I, I kind of saw right away that I could carve out a niche doing politics because I had done national politics at, at ABC. The other thing that I thought that you did a great job with was uh, Kim Fox. Like, I, <laughs> I think that she is one of the most interesting political figures that has come across this area in a really long time. And you talk about polarizing. Like, there, there are polarizing elements to her. And it, it was interesting to see you navigate some of the the inner party fighting that's going on between the mayor and, and Kim Fox and the, the superintendent. When when you have someone like that, that you get an opportunity for a long form interview with, but you know that you've got to make make sure that you can distill it down for for the viewer. What's your approach to, to trying to get your questions answered? So let me first of all say, when I got to WGN, I, I, um, after it had been on the job a, a couple of months, and I'm just general assignment at that point, and um, my shift started at two in the afternoon, and so I, re I went to our assignment desk, I said, all right, what do you guys have for me today? And they said, okay, you're going to City Hall to interview the mayor, the interview's at 2.30. <laughs> and I thought that's not a good way to do that. <laughs> uh, and so um, that really changed. And, and I did fine, but, you know, Rahm Emanuel, you know, he, he hazed the heck out of me. And, and I, you know, I did the best I could to be as prepared as I could in half hour, but I, I was not prepared. And I thought, what a missed opportunity. Um, you know, like it, it, it is important when we go interview the mayor or the state's attorney or the governor because the average citizen doesn't get an opportunity to do that and mm -hmm. you're there representing the people of the state the city the county and so you better be prepared you better know your stuff and it was a moment that really changed everything for me I said that'll never happen again and at the time WGN didn't have a political reporter and so I would in the months to come push really hard to to make that my be and then ultimately become the political reporter because I thought you you better know what's going on. You better be ready and prepared, and and you we can't be winging it. We can't sort of okay. I, I read the paper every other day. No, you better have sources. You better know what's relevant and what matters. So for an interview like that, the, the Fox one that you're referring to, 
um, it was okay. It was kind of all right. What's been on my mind? I'll often write down questions that that may come up later, and I'll save them. Um, but but for me, it was just it was just what what is this moment in the news cycle? Where are we? And 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 in her case, she had one reelection. So it's okay. All right. What are you going to do differently? Uh, you've had your your critics. They 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 see kind of our violence problem different than you do. Let's talk about that. And then also when someone makes themselves available for an interview, it's usually because because these are inter- hard interviews to get. They usually have something they want to talk about, Correct. something they want to say. And so I'm adamant about listening. Like, all right, and 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 and, and I'll, I won't directly say, okay, why did you call me here? Well, why why did you actually agree? You know, I've called twenty times. Now you want to do the interview, but I'll just like set them up to to because I think it's important that we let them say whatever they want to say, and then we put it in the context. What did you take away from that sit down? Well, that she she believes that she's right, and and um, so she of course is a reform state's attorney and um you know she she wants to make sure um that the county writes what she sees as, as the wrongs uh of the criminal justice system um whether that's uh, record expungement for for small level cannabis possessions um or getting justice for people who've been uh the victims of police misconduct and things like that um you know, and, and maybe looking for diversion if it's if it's something like shoplifting or or crimes like that, while being tougher on 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 gun offenses, and she's going to continue that. And she, but she also thinks, whereas there has been a lot of finger pointing and a lot of blame has been directed at her, there's this perception she doesn't prosecute offenders and that you know gun offenders and they get back, you know, and it's a revolving door; they're in and out of jail without her prosecuting them. Um, she says the, the the stats don't indicate that, and that there are these other systemic issues driving our violence. And it's a, in in her mind a lack of uh, investments in certain neighborhoods, lack of opportunity. And she is adamant that there's so many things that happen before you pull that trigger, and everyone collaboratively has to work together to address those issues. And so it's easy after a night of looting to come out and say, these are the repeat offenders. And, 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 you know, that they do this because they know there are no consequences, but in fact, there's, there's a lot more to it. And it is the charge of everyone in the community to really figure that out. So you reduce, reduce the violence. Can I pitch you on an idea and forgive me if you've already done something similar to this? No, please. I think that it would be interesting to, to have someone like you, dig into how much police misconduct have cost taxpayers <laughs> because I, I think that it's, it's interesting. Like I brought it up. I, re, I remember after the Laquan McDonald um, video, I had talked about it on the air about how much money the city of Chicago had spent in the last decade. And this, at the time, I think it was like $500 million. Yeah, yes, it was. Uh, on, on police mix, misconduct. And I think that there are a group of people that, that think that it doesn't affect them because it doesn't affect them. Like, it's not, it's not anyone that they know. It might, it might not be someone that's in their neighborhood. But it ends up eating us all up. Even if, if you don't have, if, if it's not the compassion button that you can hit or the injustice button that you can hit the idea that you have to pay for that. And and then you go, well, wait, why, why am I getting taxed? Why are red light cameras being turned back on? Like all of those things play into it. And I'm not sure that, that we media capital M in Chicago have done a good job of making everyone understand how all of those things fit together. Yeah. Look, here, here's what we know because we, we live in the city. We, we know this city. There are neighborhoods that sparkle. Um, they are clean. They are nice. They are safe. There are other neighborhoods that have challenges where there's not a grocery store, where the school building is dilapidated, where there's not jobs and opportunities. And that is a big piece of Chicago's problems. And uh, it goes back 
it goes back decades. And you're right. Look, the, the, the police, obviously, it's a very difficult job, right? We have unique crime challenges in Chicago. But pre-Laquan McDonald, you know, the police force, you could, you could say needed, <laughs> needed to be professionalized, right? They all had different service revolvers. Um, you know, it, you, you look at, at, at all of the things that the police accountability task force and, and the suggestions that were made there, um, it, it was enormous, the reforms that were needed. And a lot of those reforms have taken place uh, to their credit. And it is a better police, you know, uh, department today than it was uh, before Laquan McDonald, but it was it was ancient in its approach and how it interacted with citizens. It was not um, the social compact that we we've come to expect, and 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 that exists elsewhere in the country, frankly. And so we're 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 looking at that, and reform is happening. But obviously, when you look at the wrong uh, raid um, uh, that happened recently, or well, it didn't happen recently, but we learned about it. Um, we still have a, we still have a long way to go, but I, yeah, I think that's a great, I think it's a great topic because there has been a lot of police, uh, misconduct and it, and it, it certainly doesn't help because it's one of the reasons the murder clearance rate is so low. You need the community to come forward with witnesses. They have to agree to cooperate with police and prosecutors, but if that trust isn't there, then that's not going to happen. I thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. I know that you are super busy and spinning a lot of plates, but I thought this was incredibly informative, and I thank you so much for for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. Yeah, we didn't even get a chance to really, really talk about the White Sox. So wait, before I I hit the stop record button, um, I'll ask you, how excited are you for the 2021 White Sox? I'm fired up, man. Listen, I know people are concerned about Larusa, but I I like it. We we know he's a winning manager. He'll be able to figure it out. I don't worry about him uh, relating uh, to the players. It is an upgrade over Rick Renteria. I, I liked him anyway. I like the Lance Lynn signing. Uh, the pitching staff's going to be terrific. Uh, we'll get some. We'll get Kopech. We'll have uh, Garrett Crochet as well. Um, whether they're in the bullpen or in the rotation, the offense is terrific. Um, I expect big things, and I, I hope that we get to go to the ballpark uh, this year. Let's all get vaccinated uh, and get out there. But it, it, you know, we, it's it's been tough, man. It's it was hard to watch those games. You remember in the middle of the last decade where we never scored runs, and Alexei Ramirez is you know batting sixth, and you know his on base percentage is two eighty. I mean, it was, and I like to like. But it, you know, it was it was it was brutal to be a White Sox fan over the past decade. So I'm ready to roll. I, I appreciate that, sir. Have a wonderful rest of your night, and thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. So that was the fun conversation that I got to have with Tamon Bradley, and we got to talk about the White Sox, and he's pumped up for the 2021 season. I'm optimistic, but I am very cautiously optimistic. As we're recording this, I I don't think that they've done quite enough, but we'll see. We shall see. The the more that I think about the interview with Taman, the more I feel like the stuff that he did during the election was even even more valuable. It's even more valuable. He's right. The point that he made about the electorate not being as informed as it could be, I think, is an important point. I think that he's taking the right steps to try and fix some of those problems. And some of that stuff is just inherently, it, it feels like it's too far gone in our political discourse now that all you have to do to do your research on something is figure out figure out what someone in your tribe, whoever tribe you're in, says about it, and then that's the opinion that you adopt. I think that we've all allowed conservative, liberal, liberal, big C, big L, Democrat or Republican, big D, big R, 
to help shape our opinions for us. And we sometimes don't take into, it's my opinion, that the electorate doesn't take into account how these things are going to actually affect them. It's almost like we're always fighting for the bigger idea or ideal scenario for something instead of, well, wait, am I voting against my own interest? There's a real history of that in the United States going back a long time, pretty much to the inception of it, where there are people who are voting against their own interests because of their interest, if that makes any sense. That's why, to me, what Taman is, is trying to do and what Channel 9 is allowing him to do, I think is important. And I hope that they continue to let him do it. I, I hope that they understand that it is appreciated when someone goes and digs even deeper into a subject matter. The way that he's dug deeper into political issues that affect us locally, you know, me, from a municipality standpoint, statewide, and and from the national elections. The local elections, I actually think there needs to be more of an emphasis on the people who are trying to run for office. And we do need to, to dig into some of the hot-button issues that are going to be on ballots. It seems as if, to me, that those are things... Like we've gotten away from it, and I think the part of the reason that we've gotten away from it is the way that newspapers, television stations, even radio stations are constructed. Radio stations are probably the best places still, like a place like GN Radio or, or WLS or BEZ are probably the best places to get really in-depth on some of these issues because you can talk them through, and there isn't as big of a time limit. But, my goodness, a lot of the the coverage politically seems to revolve around the arguments, and I don't mean that in a stand-and-deliver type way. Like, the stuff that Taman is talking about, the, the way that he goes about doing it, those are the types of conversations that we should be having about politics, not just, well, this politician said this about this politician. And then it becomes this kind of back and forth that's so, I don't know, it's counterproductive to us getting some of the answers that we need and deserve uh, as taxpayers. And I'm not, I wasn't kidding about that pitch that I gave him. Like the idea of, of police brutality and people thinking that it doesn't affect them. Well, if you look at police misconduct, in Chicago over the last 15 years you're talking about close to a billion dollars that taxpayers have had to pay out what happens if that money you're probably not going to do a billion but what happens if a portion of that money is paid to police if we use that to better train and more importantly better pay police officers what happens if a portion of that money is spent adding social workers to CPS? Do we see a drop in crime? Because the way that we've done policing, specifically in Chicago and overall in the United States, hasn't really worked the way that we prefer it to work. At least ideally. There are some people who say the system is working just fine. But think about the flight of people from Chicago, which I do think has been a little bit overblown. Think about the type of services that the city could do if it, all, it wasn't always a budget crunch. And part of the reason that it's a budget crunch is because your city is paying out settlements to people who have been wronged by the police force. So I hope he digs deep on that. But to me, it's the economics of it is pretty simple. There's a lot of money that's being spent by the city to settle with 
victims of police brutality. And that money could be put into our roads. It could be put into our schools. It could be put into the police department itself. But we rather chase it afterwards and then have to screw everybody over and say, well, we don't have the money for these services. Why don't you? You find it when you have to make a settlement. Why not be preemptive? All right, I'm I'm done being on the soapbox, but that's those are the types of things that talking with Taman made me really think about hard. And it was good to to be able to talk with him about this and hang out and enjoy having a conversation on a bunch of different levels, including him being a crazy White Sox fan. So watch him. He's really good on Channel 9. I'm telling you, just check out his work, man. I'm telling you, it's 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 worth your time. I appreciate your support. Big thanks to David Hochberg and Team Hochberg for their support of this very fine podcast. We're glad that they are back on board with us to start the new year. Homeside Financial, check them out, 56david.com, 855-56-DAVID. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. There is going to be a new Star Trek episode. I just got to call Maggie. And be like, hey, can we talk about Discovery now? Because I'm ready to talk about Discovery. That'll be coming up soon. Peace! Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.